0: Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have two other podcasts out there. From John to Justin, which releases every single Friday, and Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. If you like, you can email me at craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can find me on Twitter, my handle is Craig Baird, C R A I G B A I R D, and you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo thirty seven. Today I'm looking at the history of Spruce Grove, Alberta. It's actually right next door to the community where I grew up, so I spent many, many times in Spruce Grove and it's a really interesting community. As usual, when I go through the history of a community, I'm not going through a chronological history, but looking at various aspects of its history that I find interesting. So, let's begin. The Indigenous For centuries, the Indigenous lived in the area of Spruce Grove, moving through with the seasons depending on the game that was in the area. The Cree occupied much of the land as did the Sarsi people long before Europeans began to arrive. As explorers began to migrate to the west in search of new places for forts to expand the fur trade, many indigenous would come with them, including with Alexander Mackenzie, who traveled through the area on his quest to find a path to the Pacific. Some of the Iroquois would come out west, including a man named Louis Callahu, who came out west with his brother and their families in the 1820s while he was working for the Hudson's Bay Company. Some stories say that Louis, also known as Yellowhead, had come west to escape assassination at the hands of Americans who were offering bounties on the Iroquois. Michel Callahu, the son of Louis, would become the leader of his nation in the area, and the Michel Indian Reserve would be named after him, which was located just north of Spruce Grove. The reserve was originally 100 square kilometres before a portion was put up for sale in 1928. In 1958, the rest of the reservation was discontinued after the band was enfranchised under Section 112 of the Indian Act. That amendment would eventually be repealed due to claims of discrimination. The Michelle Band was the first in Canada to enfranchise under the Act, and there's now a call for the 700-plus former members of the reserve to be reinstated under the Act. Through the years, Indigenous artifacts have been found, including arrowheads, flints, and much more. The founding of the community. As settlers arrived in the area, they began to settle in the area north of what would eventually be Spruce Grove. At the time, there were no railroads for the settlers to use, so they had to travel to Edmonton to ship their goods, which was quite the hassle. The start of the community would begin when a Roman Catholic church was built at the corner of current Century Road and Highway 16. Soon, other buildings began to spring up around this church, including a hotel, a bar, a general store and several homes. Nearby to the village in 1906, a new community was springing up called Spruce Grove Centre, but that would not last long before it too was gone. The settlement began to grow enough that on March 14, 1907, it became a village, but it would not last. By 1916, the community had seen its population fall for several years until it only had 47 people, and it once again became a hamlet. In August of 1908, the Grand Trunk Pacific Railway grade came through and the rails were added soon after. A railway station was built just west of the community and it was the placement of the station that would have an influence on where the permanent location of Spruce Grove would be. In 1912, the railway company surveyed a location north of the highway for the permanent location of the town. Before long, the residents of the old town site realized that they would need to move the entire town. On July 26, 1912, the hotel was moved to the new town location, while several other buildings were moved as well. Other buildings were dismantled and used to build new buildings within the permanent town site, but some remained in their original location. Metcalf General Store was left standing in its original spot, and by 1922 was being used to store hay before it was demolished for good. Over the coming years, Spruce Grove would continue to grow thanks to its location next to Edmonton. As a bedroom community, it would become a village almost 40 years after it dissolved its village status, originally on January 1st, 1955. On January 1st, 1971, the village of Spruce Grove became the town of Spruce Grove, and on March 1st, 1986, the town became a city. Today, 34,000 people live in Spruce Grove, and it's the ninth largest city in Alberta. The Spanish Flu and Polio The Spanish Flu was one of the worst pandemics in history claiming millions of lives including 50,000 in Canada alone. Spruce Grove was not immune from this outbreak. On October ninth, 1918, the epidemic reached Edmonton and by October 21st, there were 500 cases. By the end of the month, the city had 7,000 cases and it would reach Spruce Grove around the same time. All the schools were closed including the two-room schoolhouse, which was quickly turned into a medical headquarters. Older schoolgirls would get rooms ready by scrubbing the walls and floors with a disinfectant solution, and various lady groups would also help out at the school for caring with the sick. A temporary phone was installed at the school, and cots were set up in one of the rooms for the doctors, nurses, and drivers who were working constantly. The flu would eventually burn itself out in the area, even as many residents took homemade remedies that came from their homelands. By the end of January, many schools would open, and the Spruce Grove School would continue to remain closed to students as it operated as an emergency depot. That school would finally reopen in early spring. The Spanish Flu wasn't the only epidemic that Spruce Grove had to deal with. Polio would rear its ugly head in the community in 1927, infecting several young people, including a two-year-old girl who suddenly fell down screaming when she was playing. The diagnosis was polio and a quarantine sign was soon hung on the home of the family. Small epidemics would occur through the years but one of the worst was in 1943 when the schools around Spruce Grove closed from September to October. To make up for lost time several schools would operate into July the next year. Throughout Spruce Grove during this time gatherings were discouraged and in 1955 when the Salk vaccine came along many breathed a sigh of relief. The 1958 elevator fire. Spruce Grove unlike many other communities does not have a large history of terrible fires but that doesn't mean they didn't happen. In this episode I will cover two that had an impact on the community. On June 18th 1958 flames tore through two of the grain elevators as well as the annex connected to one of the elevators. The Spruce Grove fire department and the Stony Plain fire department both raced to fight the flames and traffic on Highway 16A was detoured so that fire hoses could be strung across the highway. The fire was first seen around 5.15am by a trucker driving through the area, and by 5.40am, one-third of the elevators had burned away. At this point, one side of the west elevator collapsed onto the other elevator as the buildings were only a few feet apart. At the time of the fire, the elevators contained about 90,000 bushels of grain, and 100 people gathered around to watch the buildings burn. Thankfully, a north wind pushed the flames away from the community itself, sparing many buildings. At the nearby train station, one employee spent the day wetting down the shingles to prevent the fire from spreading towards it. Cecilinus, who had worked for the Alberta Wheat Pool for 31 years, arrived soon after the fire was reported and ran into an elevator saving some delivery permits for farmers, but most of the papers and documents were lost, as was all of the grain. One of the elevators was one of the oldest west of Edmonton built in 1917, and the other was much newer, built in 1953. A subsequent investigation found that the fire likely started in the old elevator. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. i spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExplorNet, and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom, and uploading content. Through it all, ExplorNet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExplorNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call one 866 2852253 The
1: 1941
0: fire Another terrible fire to strike the village happened on July 23, 1941. At around 5:30 p.m., a fire swept through the business district of the village, destroying the Ted Lentz garage, a popular cafe, and the Kelly General Store. All three buildings were burned to the ground while a two-story brick building was heavily damaged. That building was valued at $3,500 and the damages totaled 2000 The fire also left three families homeless. The fire was bad enough that five Edmonton firefighters under Fire Chief McGregor came out to aid the Spruce Grove Fire Department in their fight. In order to fight the fire, a huge bucket brigade was created that hauled hundreds of pails of water from the wells to be poured on the fire. One of the reasons that the fire was able to destroy three entire buildings was that Spruce Grove was one of the few towns around Edmonton that had not agreed to receive service from Edmonton's fire department. Thankfully the Edmonton fire department still came to help. The fire had started in the garage of Ted Lentz when there was an explosion and two carloads of binder twine. Lentz was thrown against the wall and the flames began to shoot up around him. Roughly 50 cars that were driving through the highway also stopped on the highway, and then began to help in any way they could to mitigate the damage from the fire. The Moonshine Industry When someone thinks of moonshine, they probably think of Appalachia and Rum Runners in the 1930s. But Spruce Grove also had its own thriving moonshine industry, at least for a while. One story tells of a farmer who lived north of Spruce Grove and had a still that he used to make his own moonshine, One day it exploded and blew him out the window in the process. Another farmer nearby also wanted to make his own moonshine. To do so, he went down into his well and cut away part of the wood cribbing where he dug a room. In this cave, he rigged up a pipe into the water tank heater above ground so that smoke would go into the water heater. If anyone saw the smoke, they would assume that it was a fire in the heater of the tank to warm the water for the cattle. The one thing he didn't count on was his hired man. The man knew about the still, and after the two men got into an argument, the hired man went to the police and told him about the still. The farmer was promptly arrested in the process. Smuggling was also a profitable pastime during the Prohibition years of Alberta. Liquor could be brought in by permit from Saskatchewan in 1918 during the Spanish flu pandemic. The station agent would develop his own system that if the name on the permit for the alcohol was wrong, as some names were misspelled, he would not allow the person to have the alcohol. He then kept it for himself and sold it for a high price. It's estimated that in the process he sold 200 bottles. Sometimes moonshine was just found out in the areas around Spruce Grove. One time men were working along the road allowance near the village and burning brush. Behind a tree they found a jug of moonshine, and they thought about drinking it, but decided that it was likely poisoned in some way. They decided to throw it onto the burning brush, and when they did, It exploded and burned rapidly, which showed the men that it was likely pure alcohol, and it was better they didn't drink it. A visit from the Prime Minister Spruce Grove has not had many visits from big names in politics, but one that visited twice was Joe Clark, even though he only served as Prime Minister for nine months. His first visit to the area would be in August of 1979, when he came out for the bust out 79 rodeo, which featured 400 cowboys and $50,000 in prizes, he would come out briefly for the rodeo, taking part in a motorcade at the Lions Club rodeo, where many in the crowd cheered, but a few booed, even if they were drowned out. An aide to the Prime Minister would say, quote, Arena crowds always boo politicians. End quote. The next visit came only six months later, but was much less of a joyous occasion for the Prime Minister. After voting in the 1980 federal election on February 18th in Jasper, he would then travel to Spruce Grove to hold court to watch the results come in. Unfortunately, it was not a time to celebrate for Joe Clark, who would see his time as Prime Minister come to an end in a bitter defeat to the Liberals and Pierre Elliott Trudeau. If you're interested in stories about Prime Ministers, I encourage you to check out my other podcast, From John to Justin, where I look at every single Prime Minister from Sir John MacDonald all the way up to Justin Trudeau. This week, releasing my episode on Stephen Harper. Grant Fear. Spruce Grove has a history of creating great athletes, including gold medalist Jennifer Hale, but the most famous is without a doubt Grant Fear. Born on September 28, 1962, he was adopted by Betty Wheeler and Robert Fear and raised in the community. Throughout the 1970s, he would play minor hockey in the community and in 1981, He led the Victoria Cougars of the WHL to the League Championship and a trip to the Memorial Cup. On June 10, 1981, he was drafted by the Edmonton Oilers. For the next 10 seasons, Führer would become a major component of the Edmonton Oilers dynasty that would cruise to five Stanley Cups in seven years, including four Stanley Cups in five years. Throughout the 1990s, following a trade to the Toronto Maple Leafs, Führer would play for a variety of organizations. And would mentor a young Dominant Hassock during his time with the Buffalo Sabres.
1: Over the line, shifting in. Oh, you erupted! What
0: a play! I would have to say Grant Fuhrer was the quickest that I ever saw.
1: He had these amazing cat-like reflexes, pucks that you think were going in, and all of a sudden, you know, he got his pad over, he got his glove. He had the ability to keep himself calm in, in big situations was a was a real pressure
0: goalie. The timing of his saves was absolutely spectacular. In the third period, no matter how he played the first two periods, he would make the big save.
1: Grant had a great glove hand, very intelligent. There was no question that he wasn't going to be a great player. He was a perfect goalie and temperament for us. Wasn't worried about statistics, didn't care about goals against, didn't care about anything other than winning. I like the
0: philosophy. You know you're going to get three or four goal cushion to work with. I could make a mistake here or there and I'd get away with it. My job's just to keep it one less. Nothing fazed him. It didn't bother him that he gave up a bad goal to make it 5-4. When game was on the line, he'd flash out that glove and make a save, and you're like, whoa. And then here come the Oilers.
1: We came in after the second period, and we were down 4-2. It didn't matter to who. He'd look around the room and say, guys, they are not getting any more. So my eyes would go bing, and we'd go win the game 7-4. We were all young. We all kind of meshed at the same time the guys you were closer to them than you were your own family almost
0: on September 6 2000 Fuhr would announce his retirement from the NHL over the course of his career he would play in six all-star games and win the Vezina Trophy as the top goalie in the NHL in 1988 in 1998 he was ranked as the 70th greatest hockey player in NHL history by the hockey news and his number 31 was retired by the Edmonton Oilers on October 9, 2003 that same year, he became the first black NHL player to be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, and he was also the first black NHL player to win the Stanley Cup, which he did five times. Fear also won the Canada Cup twice, in 1984 and 1987. During his career, Fear would also set several records, including most assists and points by a goaltender with 61, the longest unbeaten streak by a goaltender from the start of the season with 23, the most assists in a single season by a goaltender with 14, the most games played by a goaltender in a single season with 79, and the most consecutive appearances in a single season by a goaltender with 76. In his 868 games in the NHL, he would record 403 wins, 295 losses, and 114 ties. I hope you enjoyed that episode of my look at Spruce Grove, Alberta. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at You can also visit my website. You will find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just like all of these wonderful patrons have. And I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Randy Hayden. Doug Campbell. Reg W, Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Randall McCallum, Diane Wade, Lori Ann Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rois, Luke Guess, JP Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook, just go to facebook.com canadianhistoryx. You can find me on Twitter, my handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram, just go to Bairdo37. Thanks, we will see you again next time.